You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 31. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jaron Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Hey, Jelena's back. She is back. Yeah, I had to go travel personally to London to meet her to say, come back to the show. And and we met the day before yesterday. It was great. We had mojitos. We had tapas. I got to meet uh, her lovely husband, uh, Brad, and we had a good time. Yeah, Yeah, it was um, hmm, no brainer for me. It was so easy. I just said, yes, I'll be back. Of course, I'll be back. Yeah, very good. (laughs) Pontus likes to dramatize. (laughs) But it was good. (laughs) What was was your reason for leaving in the first place? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there was no leaving. You just just had something else to do. Yeah, I I was otherwise engaged. Um, No, but it was was good to meet Elena because... I realized this was the first time since before we started to 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 do the podcast that we met uh, face yeah. to face. So the last time yeah. we met, we actually didn't know each other very well. Now we know each other much better. It's strange. Okay. So what have you been up to, Anders? Oh, I was just uh, casually traveling through Canada again. Mm-hmm. But I'm back. I I just arrived back this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means I'm a little bit sleep deprived at the moment. So if I completely get off track uh, when I start talking, uh, please, please, please blame it all on the jet lag. Yeah. Okay. All the listeners so. could send in complaints. That's fine as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, I'm going to have to come up with an excuse for the next occasion when I'm not jet lagged. But uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it was it was good fun. Yeah, since since the last episode, I I didn't meet up with any skeptics across Canada, unfortunately, which is very bad. But I was I was I was very exhausted in the evenings, and um, yeah. But uh, I love the country. Yeah, I think I, I I think I've said that before. Yeah, it's one of my must must do on my travel list, definitely Canada. And especially, I do recommend the Rockies. Mm-hmm. It's. It's the, one of the most beautiful places on earth. The Canadian Rockies. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, let me say something that, that I, just, I just learned because uh, Susan Gerbic just posted it on Facebook. That since we had an interview with her on the show, there have been three people applying to join GSOW, the Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia, from different European countries. Hmm. Just, just and because of us. Re- yes, they referred back to the ESP. Ooh. All three of them. Nice. So that's super cool. Mm-hmm. I love that. Please, guys, uh, our listeners, keep those requests coming. Uh, go ahead and contact us or Susan directly. We need your contribution. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and do it. Yeah. Shall we start the show? Let's do that. Yay. Let's do that. Jelena, do you have um, a special topic to talk about uh, on the occasion of this day being the 15th of July? I do. Um, On this day, uh, 15th of July, 1834, um, the Spanish Inquisition was disbanded. Hooray! 
Uh, yeah, it was about time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I will just briefly talk about what Spanish Inquisition was. Mm-hmm. Um, Spanish Inquisition was established in 1480 um, by the Catholic monarch Ferdinand II and Isabella I. And um, it was intended to maintain the Catholic uh, orthodoxy in the kingdom um, and to replace the medieval Inquisition, which was under the papal control. And the Inquisition was uh, originally intended primarily to ensure the orthodoxy of those who converted from Judaism and Islam um and the regulation of the faith of the newly converted was intensified after the royal decrees issued in 1492 now that was very interesting for me because i as we all probably heard bits here and, and there and everywhere about spanish inquisition and what it was and how it worked i didn't actually know that it was directed at specifically those converted from Judaism and Islam. And as I was reading about it, there was a lot of uh, information how they were uh, uh, prosecuted and uh, tortured and uh, under this um, Spanish Inquisition and overall weren't very happy at all. Um, so Spanish Inquisition lasted over 300 years. Um, and even though in the... Um, popular culture and literature, there is a, a perception that it killed uh, hundreds of thousands of people. Actually, overall, um, only a um, few thousand people were, were prosecuted and burned or killed by the Inquisition, um, although a lot more were put through tri- trials. And, of course, the point was to convert people from one way faith to another and keep them that way and they invented all these different ways to knowing whether the newly converted were actually following the new faith or they were pretending and this is where I'm not clear at all because that's of course is open to interpretations in many ways so all in all the fact that it's finished and abolished and done and dusted with and we're now living in inquisition free world is a good thing Mm -hmm. and um that's why I picked that wonderful event uh, that happened on the fifteenth of July. Mm. Yeah, mm. and who could Good. and who could expect that? Because nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> it's a reference, apparently. <laughs> it's a reference. Yeah, yeah. You get that, Anders? No, no, no. I don't. Nobody expects the Sp- Spanish Inquisition. You see, I didn't know that reference either. It's it's Monty Python. It's Monty Python. Look it up. It's on on YouTube. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish in- Inquisition. Yeah, that's such a shame that I didn't get that reference. <laughs> anyway, good. Well, but it's interesting to note that the, the Papal Inquisition still exists in a way today. Uh, it's changed names over a couple of uh, couple of times, and it's now known as the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith. So that's it's responsible to keep the the Catholic uh, faith pure and and correct. And uh, do you know who who headed that for a long time? Uh, I believe his name was Josef Ratinger. Absolutely. So former. Yeah. You're a clever you. Former Pope Benedict was was involved with that and was leading that for a long time, and he was 
among other things, responsible for keeping the Red Sea Scrolls uh, secret and hidden away from the public for a long time because the this remnant of the Inquisition was... They were afraid that it would... Uh, uh, you know, reveal that maybe Jesus was not uh, as prominent in in the in history as, as uh, the Catholic Church wants to to believe. Anyway, so yes, the, the the Inquisition does not exist anymore, but some remnants of it lives on, and that's quite interesting. And I don't know whether the the concept of uh, heresy still exists. Hmm. Does it? I'm not sure. I don't know. Hmm. Would be interesting to know. Uh, but even it, even if it, even if it did, what would be done to those who are heretics? Mm. They would be put in the comfy chair, if you believe the comfy the, chair. The comfy chair. Monty Python again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks very much again. No problems. I suggest we move on to discussing a few events that are coming up. Let's do this! The first event I would like to talk about uh, is happening on the 17th of July um, in Liverpool. Merseyside Skeptic Society is doing a charity Riverside Walk. So get in touch if you're interested and you're around the area. And they're doing 7K. Um, The walk is um, done to raise money for Mind Mental Health Charity. Mm. And everyone is welcome. Goody. On the next day, on Monday, the 18th, Glasgow Skeptics in a Pub is happening. The Physics of Food is the title. Why Cooking is Not Only Chemistry. And the speaker is Dr. Anne Posey. It must be a very intriguing talk. So delicious. I'd love to be there. Yeah, delicious. I love food chemistry. That's amazing. That's that's fantastic. It's 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 great to know know something about it. Yeah. And on the same day, Reading Skeptics are convening as well, um in the form of the Skeptics in the Pub event. And the title is Sense, Nonsense and Everything in Between. Another intriguing kind of topic. Uh, introduced by Dr. Mike Wood. Mm-hmm. And then on Wednesday the twentieth, we have in Göteborg, they have their Moon Pub. It's a, a pub night social event in in Gothenburg. Uh, always very nice. Mm-hmm, yeah. And on the same date, in Eastbourne, there is a talk by Jim Collock called uh, How Much surveil- Surveillance is Acceptable in a Democracy? I think that's quite intriguing as well. And uh, in Lewis, there's a talk by Jane Ogden on the same day called uh, do no harm. So this is about medical practices and whether medical interventions can cause complications or further illnesses. Mm. On the 21st of July, um, there will be three events. Bedford Skeptics in the Pub are going to be talking about herding Hemingway's cats with Dr. Kat Arnie. Don't have any more information. On we that. we did cover it before, so it's um, yeah. I remember something it's a v- about that. Very good and intriguing yeah. book. Um, yeah, mm. and she's touring the country with it. Yeah, on the twenty first of July there will be Edinburgh Summer Skeptacular fundraiser. Wow, that's a mouthful. Um, 
and um, there will be a lineup of comedy, poetry, insects, <laughs> and pelvic floor exercises. That's not me. That's these are not my words. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> pelvic floor exercises. Floor exercises. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah, it it, it really does. <laughs> I'm intrigued. So I'll donate now for the fundraiser. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Maybe there'll be a YouTube video afterwards. What are you going to donate? A pelvis? <laughs> they can have my body when I die. So fine. <laughs> All right. And... <laughs> okay. And uh, again, the third uh, event on the same day, 21st of July, will be the event that takes place in Liverpool uh, against Skeptics in the Pub with Robert Island. Why vapors think that e-cigarettes will lead to the ending of cigarette um, smoking and why their optimism uh, may be misplaced. Ha! So there we go. I don't know anything about this. I he heard all sorts of rumors about, oh, but vaping is so much worse than smoking. And there's, oh, it's a whole controversial topic. Yeah, it is. It, is re it really is. But. Yeah. But. But I was going to say that I don't care about it because I don't smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Some people. Oh, might. well. <laughs> I'm sure there's still lots out there. So there you go. Goody. And on Friday the 22nd of July, Bristol Skeptics in the Pub will take place as well with Karen Douglas talking about secrets and lies, the psychology of conspiracy theories. Wow. That's cool. I, it's, it's always intriguing to talk about the psychological background mm. of, uh, of certain beliefs and belief systems because that's how you really understand how, how it works. And when you understand, that's when you can start tackling the problem. So it's cool. It's a great call, Bristol Skeptics. Well, this is a very UK-heavy week. Again, yeah. But we would love to hear from others because we are doing our research for week by week for these events. And uh, we can only work with what we, what we find. So we kind of rely on you guys listening to this show and uh, being in contact with organizers or being organizers yourselves um, to let us know so that we can let others know about your event. And if you want to do that... Um, you can find us on uh, Twitter and our Twitter handle is um, espodcast underscore eu. Um, you can also uh, follow us on Facebook. You can email us. Our email address is info at theesp.eu or you can go on our website theesp.eu and complete a contact form mm -hmm. and you can go on iTunes and uh, leave us a nice review with five stars as well uh, preferably and uh, please share our content on Facebook share it with others so that we can reach as many European people as possible but talking about events, there are a few things that if you miss these events and you want to find them, you can. For example, uh, in Germany, there are two different YouTube channels where you can find interesting talks. Uh, one of them is from Scapcon uh, that take, took place in May. And uh, um, on the show notes, you'll find the link to the YouTube channel of Scapcon. Uh, that's actually the YouTube channel of, uh, of GWUP, the, the, the German Skeptical Association. And the other one is Science Slam. If you remember us uh, talking about Science Slam 
with uh, Julia Offer uh, when we had an interview with her uh, on the show. Um, that's very interesting. Uh, breaking down science so that everyone can understand. And very intriguing. Uh, it's all in German. But in Spain, you will find a YouTube channel as well with the Skeptics in the Pub events, the Skeptics in the Pub talks. And uh, we're going to provide the link for that, as well as um, a link to an event that is taking place in September in uh, Bilbao. It's about science, skepticism and humor. It's, it's called Naukas. And uh, it, there is not too much information about the actual event, the, the two-day conference. But you will find that and we will report on it, on it uh, once it is published. Hmm. So why don't we move on to a few interesting topics? As many of our listeners probably know, um, not so long ago, last week, we had a referendum in England and it has been decided by the majority, arguably majority, um, that we want to leave. So Brexit happened, so to speak. Well, not yet, actually. Yeah. I mean, technically, it technically it hasn't happened yet because the parliament has to vote on it, whatever. Since the referendum took place, um, it caused... Um, a lot of controversy and reaction in, uh, in the stock markets, as was to be expected. The pound value dropped dramatically. There were all sorts of um, you know, things that happened since. And it's actually all unraveling quite quickly. So what I have seen uh, recently in The Guardian, there was a an article about the um, EU project's... Um, scientific research of your projects and um, how UK will be basically not banned from those but it will be harder for them to get those um, funding opportunities because of the Brexit. So there is a big um, EU research uh, innovation program called Horizon 2020. I don't know if any of you heard of it yeah. before. Yeah, um, been involved as well. And yeah it's um well i've i've only recently discovered that 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 exists and it's a nearly 80 billion uh, euros worth of um program and um funding available over 7 years between 2014 to 2020 and um in addition to the private investment that this money uh, will attract promises more breakthroughs discoveries and world first um, class uh, research um and UK was, up until two weeks ago, part of that. And there was no doubt that some of this funding was going to come from uh, Horizon 2020. In fact, up to 1 billion euros, if I uh, remember correctly from reading the article. And now the, all this funding is under a massive question. The, the article hasn't specified that the UK has been rejected completely, but there is no confidence uh, in UK and... Um, Several projects have been dropped since the EU referendum. I guess while things are still uncertain, um, there will be this maybe a little bit of element of instability and panic around. Mm -hmm. um, we can see that certain things like that will happen. But the problem is also with the whole um, thing is that 
there was never any plan for Brexit. So mm-hmm. once the referendum happened, uh, government didn't put anything in place to say what's going to happen to various areas uh, of the country. And of course, one of those areas was the um, scientific research. Um, and this is very sad to see because, as we all know, the um, scientific research is, is vital um, to discovering various things, you know, the um, uh, tackling climate change, discovering new drugs, etc. And the UK was probably one of the leading countries with the wonderful universities where the scientific research is done across the country. Um, and uh, it'll be a shame to see uh, UK missing out on it because of the referendum. Yeah, and that that was actually something that that many leading scientists and science communicators uh had told everyone before the actual vote took place that this would be the case this would happen and and british science would be in in a grave danger for for lack of funding if if brexit happens and so now we are here. Yeah. It's still too early to say, I guess. And these kind of articles will pop up here and there. And it's, there isn't nothing yet finalized or, or uh, set in stone. But like I said, um, this uncertainty will bring, you know, less confidence in UK. And Yeah, and there will be no uh, long-term planning and basic research will be suffering a lot as well. And that's one of the greatest problems. I, I just uh, read an, an article uh, on New Scientist. Um, I, do, I, do, I do know that it's, it's not of particular European relevance, but since it has a global relevance to science and scientific research. I think it's worth uh, talking about it. So now that we talked about British uh, scientists, I don't know if that exists elsewhere, but in Hungarian science communication, we have a um, category called British scientists. And that indicates some kind of doubtfulness or or a certain amount of caution um, when interpreting the results uh, communicated in, in those pieces and there is a good enough reason for all of the all of us to do so uh, not only in the in the case of british scientists per se and uh, yeah british scientists have their own problem right now but generally when encountering new results that are called groundbreaking or revolutionary or new discoveries are being called but they they usually feel more like something worthy of of an ignoble if you know what I mean. So it turns out that in most of the cases, these are not really valuable pieces of research. And that is the problem that is discussed by uh, Simon Oxenham, uh, who has a, a column on New Scientist uh, with the title Brain Scanner. As it, It's a weekly co- a column that, that sifts the pseudoscience from the neuroscience. And uh, he talks about a crisis within scientific publishing and scientific research and scientific misconduct. Uh, from time to time, we report on uh, uh, retracted articles. But turns out that there are more and more retracted articles in scientific literature. And there are more and more poorly designed uh, scientific research activities. 
And that is a global phenomenon which which needs to be tackled. But Paul Smaldino and Richard McElrath um, at the University of California, Davis, comes up with uh, an evolutionary theory-based computational model to analyze the problem of bad science. And they found that uh, the incentives contemporary science actively encourage reward and propagate poor research methods and abuse of statistical procedures. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm, I'm, yeah, is it is this a, a new phenomenon that that no the, that studies are getting poorer, poorer, or is it a new phenomenon that we we reject them later? No, that's that's a tendency. Mm-hmm. The tendency is that there are more and more uh, poorly designed uh, pieces of research, mm-hmm. and as a result, there are more and more papers retracted. Retracted. Okay. But yeah. the but the other problem is that there is a difference between the growth rate of the two. Mm-hmm. So um, it cannot, the, the number of retractions cannot catch up with the number of, of poor articles. Mm-hmm. H- have you ever heard the expression uh, publish or perish? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. This, is, this is a widely circulating expression in scientific research because you have, in order to, to get the funds you need for, for uh, going on with your research you need to to publish like crazy you need to put out all your results and sometimes that results in you not being able to to properly conduct your research and there are flaws in your research in your research methodology and the the greatest problem is because of the lack of funding for basic research there are not enough researchers trying to debunk your research, trying to uh, replicate your results. And that is something that is crucial to scientific progress. Yeah. Hmm. So this is how people are just are just uh, writing up papers like crazy uh, with new results, revolutionary results. And yeah, and, and Oxenham talks about that, that phenomenon as well, that in the abstract of the of the papers of the scientific papers there it the frequency of words like uh, groundbreaking and uh, and revolutionary and, and and words like that are are emerging and the other thing is that he says newly hired biologists for example now have twice as many published papers as they did only 10 years ago that's because the need and the drive to publish like crazy and that that results in and that drives quality down yeah exactly exactly so this is what's brilliant about this that these researchers at the University of California they applied um an evolutionary theory based approach to understanding the problem mm. turns out that it's it's a selection process mm-hmm. survival of the most <laughs> survival of the fittest survival yeah. of the fittest but turns out the fittest is not the one who's doing the best science no it's not what we want no. the fittest is the one who who publishes the most mm. and ah. that's just not good it's just not right not good. and one of the uh, so let me ask you a question if someone asks you what the best thing about the scientific me- method is it's what is it peer review Peer review research. Peer review. It's research. Huh. Exactly. Peer review. And and why peer review is so important is because they can weed out 
everything that is wrong about it. They are the ones who are trying to replicate your results and they can't. That means that your results are flawed, that there is something wrong with your results and it's probably because of your protocol. So the method you applied is not right. So that it has to be adjusted, it has to be changed in a way. And that is how scientific progress happens. And and for that, you need funding for basic research. Everyone wants to fund applied research. But we keep forgetting that it's not always that what counts the most because you have to have the solid ground to build on. And that's basic research. And basic research and how, how it connects, it can be connected to what Yelena talked about is that it comes from uh, grants and projects funded by organizations, for large bodies like the EU. Mm, yeah. And it's usually not, not something that comes from, from governments. Uh, in some countries, it, it, it is. For example, I, as far as I know, in Germany, the, the German government uh, allocates a lot of money uh, of the budget, of the, the federal budget, to scientific research. But that's Germany. It's not. It's not the case everywhere. No, I think. I think together, uh, you, the more, or the bigger organization, the more you can focus on these things, and that's why EU is good. Yeah. So each e- an individual country cannot carry the research for the whole world. So so collaboration is yeah. the key. And for 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 a short uh, period of time, I I had the opportunity to do some research that was EU funded in the UK at the University of York. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that that was basic research uh, with some uh, applications as well, like uh, uh, archaeological dating and stuff. Mm. But uh, it was brilliant. It was very, very well-conducted research, very rigorously conducted research. Uh, And it was great. It was fantastic. Mm. Um, But uh, now I I hear that even, even they will suffer. They will probably not be able to to provide grants and positions for brilliant researchers, hmm. which is terrible. Yeah. And the other thing, how it uh, can be connected to the problems with pseudoscience. Of course, there is bad science and there is pseudoscience. There are two different things. But think about homeopathy, for example. It's it's not easy to dismiss homeopathy as something without any kind of proof that it works. So when you go get into the discussion of the efficacy of homeopathic remedies, the only thing you can do is to try and make the other person understand how uh, scientific research works and how a, a meta-analysis and a, a large-scale review of the scientific literature on homeopathic remedies is what counts not that you ha- you can you can cite one positive result of a clinical trial hmm. but hmm. you have to you have to see all the results put together in a review yeah. in a large scale review and that that is that makes it so sophisticated that it's much more difficult to communicate to the to the general public hmm. because the other side the homeopath can say that yeah we have positive results and they are right it's just those studies with positive results are crappy studies. Those are crappy protocols, not rigorous enough. 
And that's that's how allowing bad science to happen can shift our problems with uh, pseudoscience as well and 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 put it to a different level. And that's what happened with homeopathy. So, yeah, it's an interesting idea that we are actually allowing this to happen and it's a selection process. Um, interesting to apply science to understand the problems with science. <laughs> so, so speaking about areas that with research needed, uh, there has been a recent letter from uh, over 100 scientists, many of them being uh, uh, former um, Nobel Prize laureates, uh, a public, a, an open letter sent to Greenpeace. Um, it was initiated by Richard Roberts, who's chief scientific officer of New England Biolabs, and uh, Philip Sharp, who is the, the winner of the 1993 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. In their letter, they urge Greenpeace to abandon their campaign against GMOs in general and golden rice in particular. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you all know about golden rice, what it is? Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I, yeah, I do. So golden rice is a genetically modified variety of rice that contains beta-carotene. That is a precursor to vitamin A production. And why is that important? Well, uh, the World Health Organization, WHO, estimates that between 250,000 and 500,000 children become blind each year because of lack of vitamin A. Uh, and half of them die within 12 months. So this is this is really a serious problem. Getting vitamin A to people is really important. Uh, but Greenpeace doesn't look like look at it that way. They they are very. I, I think they're going down a path very much on the natural fallacy uh, side. So anything that is genetically modified, they don't want and they don't want to touch in anything. So and. And also, they also even in some comments seem to admit that golden rice is probably a good thing, but they are opposed to it anyway, because it could be a sort of a gateway to other genetically modified things. And they don't want anything that is genetically modified. So they, in a way, would rather have people die or become blind than using something is, that is genetically modified. And, and I think that's, that's rather terrible. Yeah, they're basically uh, uh, taking a position and making their, their whole agenda and not accepting what the actual science says. And they have their own scientists, so they, they, they have their own people who are subscribing to the same agenda. Yeah. And, and, and that's it. And... and a lot of the time, people are against GMO uh, because it's very commercial. It's Monsanto, big evil, etc. But this is not produced by Monsanto. This is not. This is done uh, by governments. This is done on on a voluntary basis. The development of of, of golden rice, I mean, and, mm -hmm, and it's yeah. not it's not commercially motivated at all. This is an attempt to really help people, and they are stopping it because it's the big bad GMO. And they say that it's a failed, it has failed as a solution and isn't currently available for sale even after more than 20 years of research. Well, some of that research uh, um, 
Greenpeace has sabotaged themselves. There was an action uh, in 2013 in the Philippines where, where Greenpeace organized a sabotage of a of a of a uh, test growing of of golden rice where lots of people came there and they just destroyed the 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 thing and they tried to make it look like it was the local uh, farmers that was protesting but it w- came out it was not it was actually organized uh, from uh, from other other people so this is really uh, worrying so i'm i'm happy that the, these uh, Scientists are now speaking out and and uh, writing this letter. I'm not sure that it will do anything directly with the Greenpeace approach to GMO, but I think it creates an awareness, and I think it, that's good. Yeah, I I do think though that uh, Greenpeace started out as a very good initiative back in 1971 when when it was founded in Vancouver, uh, Canada, and. Uh, and it it grew up to a global organization and started to focus more on the agendas and more on 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 their communication of certain issues and much less on the actual science and what the science says mm. yeah and this is dangerous because they they are being followed by a lot of people around the world uh, they have uh, local branches in like more than a hundred countries. Yeah, and they get a lot of media uh, exposure. That is power, and they they can lead propaganda campaigns. Absolutely, mm. yeah, no problem. And mm. they should, if 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 only they could just get the science right as well, mm-hmm. that would be fantastic. And again, <laughs> you know, just to say that right, there is nothing that says that genetically modified crops or organisms are dangerous because they are genetically modified you know the to, the tool and the technique is not dangerous uh, and and you know if you change the dna of of an organism it doesn't matter if you do it through selection of 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 uh, you know growing things and, and choosing the special varieties or if you go directly into the DNA and change it. When you're done, the result is the same. Uh, GMO is just faster and actually, in a way, more controlled than than conventional modification of of uh, organisms. Yeah, because it's an alteration of a certain point of the DNA. So it's it's not when when you have to select for certain uh, characteristics, it it usually comes with something else. It's it's not only just one uh, characteristic that you that is changing at all. You can select for that. There are coupled things that are mm. coupled coupled um, genes that that come with that, and it's it's much more difficult to control for those. Yep. Um, I would like to talk about uh, another piece of news that came out of UK, and it's about vets banning the use of homeopathy in animals. We have mentioned it before um, in, in our podcast um, talk when we were talking about Prince, Prince Charles using homeopathy in his cows. I don't know how many cows he's got, but anyway. Lots. And 
there was a petition that was started on change.org um, and we will uh, link the petition in, in description to so our show um, to a call to ban veterinary surgeons from prescribing homeopathy as a treatment for animals. And it's, it was started by Danny Chambers um, and it reached 3,228 supporters so far out of 5,000 that needed. Um Basically, the um, petition calls on the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons to stop vets from offering homeopathy uh, on animal welfare grounds. Um, but the apparently the veterinary regulators says it is difficult to envisage any justification for a ban. Well, we know about one very <laughs> important justification, i.e. that homeopathy doesn't work. Um, however, one in seven practices offer some form uh, offer some form of complementary therapy, um, and apparently five hundred farmers and forty vets are trained in homeopathy. So it's quite you know quite big numbers. Um, I didn't think they they are that high. Um, and um, Danny Chambers, who spoke to BBC, actually said himself, we think vets these days should be offering 21st century medicine. Um, and it's been shown time and time again that homeopathy doesn't work. So it probably shouldn't be offered anymore, um, even if it's offered with good intentions. No, I'm not sure. I guess if uh, petition uh, gets enough signatures, um, there'll be some action that come out of it. Um, I'm always a little bit skeptical about petitions online, but... Um, it doesn't cost anything, and if um, enough people rally up, maybe th there'll be a change. And we all know uh, the success of the um, N uh, homeopathy on NHS and how it's been no longer funded uh, on NHS in uh, many uh, places in the UK. So I don't see why the same couldn't be done in case of treating home, uh, animals. Yeah, and especially, and... especially when you think about it, um, a human can decide to take the pill or not. And, and then animals cannot, cannot. Yeah. and they they are exposed to whatever their their keepers give them. So that's that's a kind of cruelty to to an animal, not treating it with something that act, can actually yeah. cure them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and actually, Danny Chambers, who started the petition, uh, when he talks about it, said that um, he himself, being a, a, a veterinar, um, seen a lot of cases of animals who would come to. Uh, to him to be treated, but well, or being being brought to him, I'm assuming, because they can't really uh, be attending do uh, doctors by themselves um, <laughs> at the stages. <laughs> That's really true. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, dear. At the stages of um, uh, when they they are so like their illness is 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 so bad and and in such a bad uh, they are in such a bad shape that he can't offer anything but euthanasia by that point and although the condition would have been perfectly treat treatable by um real medic medication yeah. so it's basically the same situation that would happen with you know with treating for example cancer with homeopathy mm -hmm. you, if you leave it too late then it progresses to a stage at which there's nothing that can be done um so Please, if you feel compelled, sign the petition, as always, and um, watch the space. You never know. Um, it might gain momentum. Do you know where we are at, uh, at right now with the number of signatures? 
Yeah, out of 5,000, 3,228 supporters signed. So we need 1,772 voices, votes. Okay. Uh, the only thing is that, uh, as far as I know, there are around 25,000 veterinarians in the UK. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if uh, the majority of them uh, want homeopathic remedies to be on the market, available on the market, to pull yeah. out, it's, it's not going to be easy to pull it off. One can only hope. Yeah, one can only hope. Well... Especially after Brexit. Uh, nothing is certain in the UK, I would say. That's against homeopathy is not, is, is not exclusive to the UK, though. Because I just I just read an article on uh, the GWP blog, the, the German Skeptics uh, Association's blog. Um, because there is, apparently there is one veterinarian who is very famous for his criticism towards uh, homeopathy used in in veterinary practice and his name is uh, is uh, Ralph Rückert and apparently now he's he's uh, widening the scope of his criticism from homeopathy um to all alternative medicine which is good um you can find some articles r- written by him on this uh, blog post that we will link to on the show notes. It's all in German, though. Google Translate is your friend. Yeah, hmm. or or actually speaking the language. <laughs> <laughs> Which at least 100 million people do in Europe. Okay, thanks very much. Well, since we discussed a few things about uh, misconduct and, and uh, things like that, why don't we move on to getting to know yet another logical fallacy? Today I would like to talk about a political correctness fallacy, also known as PC fallacy. This is a very common one in recent history, as probably many of you are aware. And um, it's becoming more and more controversial. Um, It is the assumption or admission that two or more groups, individuals or ideas of groups or individuals are equal or of equal value. And um, the form of the logical fallacy normally goes like this. Claim A is politically incorrect, therefore claim A is false. Um, I've got a couple of the examples of of this logical fallacy that probably appeal to some of our listeners and um, see what you think about those. Example number one, sacrificing virgins is part of that tribe culture and heritage. Therefore, it is just as acceptable as our culture's tradition of eating a hot dog um, at a baseball game. That's obviously an American way of <laughs> life, so we can use a UK uh, tradition or Swedish tradition, whatever tradition you can think of. And of course, um, here we enter the realm of morality and choose to protect a cultural belief in inverted commas, over saving a life um, of a young girl. Exactly sort of similar kind of thing that um, comes to mind is with a female genital mutilation that's happening in uh, a lot of countries all over the world. And I have heard that argument not once, but several times, that who are we to say what is right for them in their culture? If that's what they always did, if that's their culture, then that should be allowed. 
which is for anybody with a moral compass would be absolutely nuts mm. to say. Yeah. Um, another example I've got is um, racial cultural profiling at airports is wrong. An adult Middle Eastern male is just as likely to be a terrorist as a four-year-old American girl. So, while anything is possible, including a four-year-old American girl being a terrorist, profiling works on probabilities. Inserting political correctness here goes against reason in asserting that every person is just as likely to be a terrorist. Mm-hmm. And that will be the end of our podcast, <laughs> well, <laughs> as we know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. No, I can, I can say, I can say even worse than that. Mm-hmm. Go on. Because, for example, in Hungary, there are certain liberal politicians. Uh, trying to argue that there are no such thing as uh, the circle of crimes committed by by the Roma, which is not necessarily the case. Uh, the problem is that uh, it's very hard to pull out statistics when ethical profiling is not possible. But it seems that on many occasions... Uh, crimes like uh, stealing, robbery, um, pickpockets among the Roma in Hungary. And uh, Mm -hmm. the problem with this is that we want to discuss the problem, but we are not allowed to talk about it. But on the other hand, uh, because of political correctness, we cannot profile them for ethnicity. No. I don't get it. Why Why isn't it allowed to profile for ethnicity? It's just a thing. It's just a category. It's just something, okay, yeah, don't put labels on one another. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I absolutely get that. But then you rid yourself of the possibility of gaining information. Hmm, but, but still, I mean, isn't there a big risk that you get, you, you put people in a certain category just because they have a certain trait or color or ethnicity <laughs> and then you 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 make all of them suspects because uh, uh, because of other things this is it there is a public opinion there is a public feeling about it that they are treated all of them as suspects and if mm. we had the data the actual data then we, you could tell that okay probably it's because 60% of these type of crimes are committed by members of the Roma ethnicity. If you can say that, then you can make a case for the rest of them, for the 40%, that, okay, it's not all of them. But when there is no data, there is only the feelings, there is only the perceptions of the public, then it's even worse. You know what I mean? Well, yes, I I know, understand what you say, but I don't agree because the the this this is really a, a complex and sensitive thing, and I, I don't I don't want to go down that route uh, because it is not their ethnicity that makes their th- that makes them liable to do these crimes. It's the situation they're in. Yeah, but there can be. But the problem is that we cannot understand the problem itself until we have data and you cannot have data with without naming things without naming certain characteristics uh, categorizing in a way because that's how data data can be obtained and can be managed without that 
it's just a total mess. Mm. I'm not convinced. So it's, for example, I don't like being called an atheist. But for statistical reasons, if I am asked whether I have any kind of religion or I am an atheist, if so, if there is if there is a choice of no religion, then I'm going for that. If I'm if there is there is one there are certain uh, certain different religions and there is a uh, a choice of an atheist, then I'm going to go for the atheist for the sake of data for the sake of information. Mm-hmm. So I am I I do get the the problem with the uh, with pigeonholes and and categorization but I do understand the necessity of it. Hmm. And political correctness just hinders that totally. Well, I'll give you this. I mean, doing investigations and and and, and finding out what is the facts and the uh, that is never wrong. Yeah. Then the question is how do you translate that into policies and and and, and what you do with the information. Oh, absolutely. That, that's absolutely. And I think I think I think basically we do we do agree then on both both sides of the of of the problem just uh because i do subscribe to the same argument that you just applied here that when it comes to policies you have to be very careful yeah but basing policy your policies on actual data and research is the correct way to go Mm. i think all right oh jesus fucking christ it's not gonna end well (laughs) why no it's a sensitive subject we mustn't forget that lives matter more than beliefs. Yeah. Well, in in in, in an example with uh, sacrificing virgins or cutting the, the female female genital mutilation, we should be beyond that point of yes. saying, "Oh, it's their it's their business because it's their mm-hmm. culture." Yeah. Mm-hmm. That should not be yeah. even a discussion because we know what is good for humanity and what is good for people and those things aren't and of course there is a gray areas and we have to tread lightly but let's not uh, get carried away by political correctness if you're generally being nice to people and try to be correct in all of its senses you don't have to be politically correct. You have to be correct in you have to be rigorous. You have to be you have to be cautious and you have to be understanding. And what is my worry of course, as the biggest worry is that political correctness is being used by bad people. Yeah. Because bad people know how to man- manipulate mm-hmm. things. Yeah. And they took it and they run with it and now we find ourselves where we are. And and it can it can trap you in a circle of which you cannot get out. And you rid yourself of the possibility of of actually tackling problems. That's why I'm I'm usually I, I usually say fuck PC, and not just because I'm a Mac person. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, Pontus. I think that'll be our last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Yelena. I do hope there that we won't get many death threats because of this. Please be nice to us, politically correct, dear listeners. <laughs> okay talking about political correctness someone has been very 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 incorrect Mm -hmm. i think so yeah yeah man enlighten us about that pontus please all right ayahuasca 
Do you know what that is? <gasps> what? Ayahuasca is what makes you happy. Oh, no, hang on. This is where you get like all stoned and uh, you're things. on the right track yeah sounds like an inuit thing no yeah the, you you know jelena is on the right track okay so ayahuasca is is uh, something you can consume it like tea yeah and it's, it's prepared mm-hmm. by mixing a plant called and now i'm going to butcher this but banisteropsois no banisteropsois capi i don't know it's a plant and you mix it together with another plant. We put it on the show notes. <laughs> that, that contains the illegal substance called DMT or dimethyltryptamine. So there is an organization called Ayahuasca International. And that organization uh, organizes a camp in July uh, north of Stockholm in a region called Roslagen, which is close to the coast, very picturesque. It's very... It's it's part of the Stockholm archipelago, uh, which is uh, you know by the sea. It's very nice. Mm-hmm. But the pur- purpose of this uh, camp is for the participants to open their minds and get a new view of I quote the world, life, cosmos, and themselves. Sounds sounds a bit uh, Douglas Adamsy. Yeah, it does. It does. Right? Yeah, yeah. Life, the <laughs> universe, and everything. Uh, yeah. So that, that yeah, that's right. So uh, some of the activities include drinking this ayahuasca tea in the evening and in the morning they get psychotherapy uh, by somebody who is not at all qualified to to do so. Uh, And it's all supervised by a self-professed shaman, uh, you know, like like a medicine man. Oh. Uh, uh, Now, if you don't... Uh, no, for everybody except Jelena, who's already tried it, ayahuasca is associated with hallucinations, psychedelic <laughs> intoxication, and in some cases, psychosis. So um, this organization, when asked if they were aware of the risks, uh, uh, they said, well, yes, we know that. So that's why we are very careful and ask all the participants if they've had psychosis before, and then they cannot come. So that makes it all right then. Um, And they also say that they don't promise any miracles, but they have seen it happen. (laughs) And and just the the sentence after... And that's not anecdotal evidence, right? And and the the anecdote is coming because then the person who was interviewed uh, added, and I quote, Just this morning there was a man who understood that his digestion problems were due to his failed relationships with women. Hmm. And so that <laughs> makes it all okay then. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It goes not, in your gut. Yeah, but not to worry, not to worry. The shaman is very experienced, so they cannot see any problem uh, with this uh, camp at all. Mm. Oh, boy. So, yeah. Um, and, and, and also they claim that we have investigated this and we cannot see anything illegal with this. Uh, the police was also interviewed, and they said uh, calmly that, "Yeah, well, we will not. We will treat this as any other thing. <laughs> we don't see anything that that's not illegal with with this." Oh, yeah, yeah. So they're just free to spread their bullshit. That's that's fine. Yeah. So the price for being really wrong goes to the Ayahuasca International Organization for thinking that it's okay to get high on illegal drugs just because you have your own shaman present. Shame on them. (laughs) Shame on them. All right. Thanks very much, Pontus. Thank you. 
Hello, Richard Saunders here from the Skeptic Zone podcast, a podcast for science and reason from Australia. Every week since 2008, the Skeptic Zone has brought you reports, interviews, and investigations from all around the world. We have many listeners all through Europe. That's the Skeptic Zone podcast at www.skepticzone.tv. I'm afraid this uh, is about it in terms of what we had time for mm-hmm. on this episode. So, before we leave, would you like to cheer us up with a nice quote, Yelena? Of course I would. Um, today's quote comes from Stephen Hawking, who is a British, uh, English theoretical physicist yeah. and cosmologist. And he said that we are just an advanced breed of monkeys on a minor planet of a very average star. But we can understand the universe that makes us something very special. Yay! Special. Hawking. Yes. Love it. Hawking is special. (laughs) Yeah. He understands quite a bit of the universe. (laughs) (laughs) He is a pretty advanced monkey. Yeah. I can say that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been the UK edition mm. of the ESP. And for joining me today, I would like to thank both of you, Yelena and Pontus. It's been a great pleasure again. Thank you. Thank you. And until next week, goodbye. 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 Bye-bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Burn, baby, burn (laughs) Okay (laughs) Fly, Robin, fly (sighs) So, how shall I How shall I get into the whole discussion? As many of our listeners know We have recently (laughs) Let me just, hold on a sec I'm sure that'll help. Hurting cats? Hurting cats, yeah. Bring him closer to the microphone so that we can hear him out. We we only have... I mean, a Skeptic Zone has two cats, but our cat is yeah, more yeah. noisy. So, so I think yeah, we win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm pretty sure that he has something very important to say. So just bring him closer to the microphone so that he can say it. Yeah. Stop it.